All right, we're going to do this smooth and by the numbers. The mission is to try to take Schaefer alive. If we can't accomplish that, we need to remove him as a variable. Agent Red, Agent Black, in her high and low on the right side. Agent White with... Do we know if he's alone in there? With me. Look, we all need to be prepared for whatever might be in there with him. Well, what do you mean, whatever might be in there with him? Do you smell that? Look, you read the briefing. You know about the rituals and the artifacts he stole. I'm not certain what's in there with him. So you're thinking he's not alone in there. Does anyone else smell candles? Well, our intel reports he's not working alone. So the answer is no, we don't think he's alone. What if he attacks? Then we give no quarter, right? Right. No quarter given. Stay frosty, man. It's just a door and it's just a job. Sure it is. All right. On three. One, two, two three. three. Engage. Light it up. Switching gears, switching gears. You guys ready? All right, let me leave this in. Greetings, fellow slingers. Welcome back to World of Hard 20 podcast. It is I, your trusted handler, Brian, welcoming you to another after action report for Delta Green Gaslight. And with me, my two agents, Agent Rice and Agent Ramirez. Whoa. Hey, easy. You know, here we are. After completing seven episodes of this homebrew spun out thing, I and I think I mentioned a couple times on a few of the intros that I really only expected this thing to go for like maybe three, max four. And it just it kept on going and going and going. So what we'll do is we'll just kind of pick apart each one of the uh the parts, just like a brief summary over them and Kind of see how everybody felt when they were doing it. First of all, I want to say uh, thank you for joining me on that. And thank you for joining me on this. So part one was the agents got the mission to investigate some gruesome murders that were occurring in New Orleans that have a very distinct, unnatural element about them. And I think that's basically the bumper I put for the for the episode. Now, Radke, this is the second time you played Delta Green. Chris is the first time you played it. You guys gelled really well together, but Chris, how did you feel about the the mechanics when you first got into playing the game itself? Yeah, at, at first I wasn't quite sure because it's it's such a departure from you know other RPGs we've played, and it it took me a, a little while to kind of get into the flow and and really more so just the mindset of doing things that. Uh, or, or working in this like supernatural type of environment. That was, I, I would say that was probably the most difficult thing for me, even though it was like modern day is keeping it always in the back of my head that we're dealing with stuff that's like unnatural. 
What about you, David? I mean, this is this is like completely night and day from deep waters, whereas before you guys were kind of confined to a large boat. This you almost had a whole you had the run of a whole city that you had to investigate. How was how did you feel the flavor of the mechanics? Oh this man, time you know I loved previously? it. You know I loved it. Um, I know you did, man. You played this thing to the hilt. I mean, I'm big on legwork. I played a lot of Shadowrun when I was younger, and a lot of that is like the setup before the heist, and um. I felt like I got a good bit of that. And then uh, we can get into it later, but like the role playing that we got to do based on that, I feel like you really saw a little bit more of my character. It was cool how Chris was able to bring that out and the dynamic that we had, but just always being able to just go with flavor. And it's like, is there a convenience store? And it's like, you know, there would be one and you find yeah. like any anything you're looking for, you can work in. And if you got an angle to be able to go after it, it's so freeing to me, not like fantasy where it's like, you're in a medieval town and there's nothing. There's not even horses. Yeah, I think that this game lends itself, especially the mechanics to to really lending itself to the players to the characters doing whatever they want to do as long as it's within uh like if you're on a boat obviously you might be able to find something in the commissary that might be run down or if it's just like in deep waters they just didn't have it but there were certain things that you guys could have could have taken from there but here it'd be only natural that you'd come across different convenience stores in new orleans or you'd come across a a place to stay like an inn or a motel the you know, in and out yeah, the leave it. Is that in. what it was called? Leave it in. Yeah, leave oh it in. God. You kill me with that. <laughs> yeah, just just all the different things. But I mean, I never wanted to ever say no, which is probably why it went so long as it did. You know, you guys were going and uh, basically just you wanted to investigate this. You wanted to check this out. You wanted to contact this person. You wanted to separate at one point. I actually thought that was that was going to be beneficial, where you guys would curtail a lot of the things. But eventually I knew you guys had to get back together to finish investigating and then bring the scenario to a culmination and everything. But some of the stuff, and we'll touch base on a few of those things, uh, but what you what brought you guys to New Orleans was for these gruesome murders. And then as soon as you get picked up at the airport, you find out that you're going to be taken straight to another crime scene right out of the gate. Another body. So I have a question about that. How the oh. hell did they know who we were? How'd the cops know? Because they had already reached out mm -hmm. to the Federal Bureau of, of Investigation to send some people. And I think that when they had done that, Patricia Hill, the officer that was your informant, had contacted Heisenberg or contacted the agency. And then that they contacted Heisenberg. And then they most likely lost the requisite to have an FBI unit come down there and mm -hmm. you took that place of that unit, but you didn't know that there was already another unit that had been dispatched and you guys didn't know, but eventually agent rice met these guys at the, uh, one of the last crime scenes, agent Ramirez did not. And, but when you guys contacted Heisenberg, he said he didn't know anything about it. And he was, you were asking him, this information over the phone so you really couldn't read his face you might at best read his voice and he seemed to be pretty adamant he didn't know anything but then again that leads us into the whole uh, the whole play of the scenario itself because radke you were the first person to say as soon as we introduced the scenario uh you know welcome to 
our homebrew of Gaslight. And you're like, yep, time to get gaslighted. And that is exactly the premise of this story. Yeah, it takes place in the Gaslight District of New Orleans, which is why I looked for a place that was, you know, reminiscent of that. And there was a lot of that, uh, you know, the mission seemed to be very, very intense. You know, as you progressed through that, there were times where it seemed like everyone was at odds with you, even mm -hmm. Fontenot, or not just Fontenot, I should say. Anybody you came into contact with seemed to have a, a problem with it. Plus, you had Heisenberg calling you all the time. Hey, have you got him yet? Do you have a 20 on this guy? Have you got the dossiers? And I just wanted you guys to feel this push of always going downrange because he tried to make it seem like your personal dossiers of your families and friends were at stake. And that was the way he kept making it sound. It kept making you think that that was the case. That was how you were being gaslighted. Mm -hmm. So, Well, the pressure was always on. It's like at every turn, we barely had any time to really like get our feet under us. Yeah, I mean, he, everything was like, I mean, we got to go now, now, now. And it's like, whoa. I mean, we're going to miss something if we keep doing it. You did that. it with the weather, too. We knew there was like the impending storm that we were trying to beat, too. So the clock was always running. Yeah. yeah. And I have that down in my notes, too. You know, that it was intentional to make you guys feel that way because I wanted you to feel the heat from all sides to have a sense of the, the franticness that not only were you against the clock, but you were against the environment, i.e. the storm, the nights coming on, the denizens being less than hospitable, places are closing down, and the police, who in their desperation, um, were, had a bunch of frustration on this whole thing. Plus, you know, now you, you feel like you've got another team that's on the scene, and they're telling you you're the wrong team, and they're threatening you, Agent Rice, and, and you're just like, whoa, I can't even... Should we even be here? Are they going to get it first? You know, and you're trying to isolate or locate and isolate this Randall Schaefer guy. Yeah, and and I think for for my um, you know for Agent Rice, you know, with Ramirez wanting to all this theater about mm -hmm. you know setting up somebody and and going here and going there and and planting evidence. Rice is like, dude, we're on the clock, man. It's like, we got to get going. So he was, uh, the agent, Rice was getting frustrated by that. So much so that I think that, uh, was it at the end, David, you even asked him, what was it? Uh, yeah. I, I wrote it down here. I got to find it because it was fucking hilarious that uh, there was a point where Ramirez and Rice were starting to get heated so much so that uh, between the sessions, you had asked Chris if he was really pissed at you because he seemed like he was. And you're like, that's some really good role play if you're not. And if Chris was just, you know, I'll let you explain. Oh, no, no, no. It was very good. But yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, obviously we're friends. We want to get along and stuff. But he was really coming at it. And I think the two characters are like, you know it's like black and white man it's salt and pepper and like this character that i've made is like i don't want to say he's a slacker but he's kind of a bullshit artist and like your character is not that way at all he's very like strict i think he's the kind of guy that would have like the same shirt and pants and he's got 15 of them in his in his closet and he's just very by the book so i get it totally and i think you called me out at one point you were like you know, you got to tell me what you're doing. And then that prompted me to be like, you know, I'm sorry. I've been 
doing this stuff on my own for so long that I'm not used to working it as a team. And I was like, Ooh, it was, that was a cool moment for me. Like just to see that that's what this character's becoming. And, um, we also had the thing with the sanity. It's like, this character's really getting like strung out. I think at a point, like he needs to kind of reevaluate his life. Um, but I don't know. Well, when you guys first jumped on in the in part one, and you went to the crime scene, and honestly, I forgot what the what the victim's name was at this point. But you guys started getting your feet wet and feeling what was going on there. Uh, by part two, you actually arrived at the scene of the latest victim and learned of the second team that was that had arrived shortly. That started ramping up the the level of interest. I should you know, or or the heat level, I should say. Because now you're like, okay, we're not the only people that can do this on our own time. There's somebody else that might do it quicker than we can. And you start putting together that this guy, Randall Schaefer, is now going by the moniker uh, Doc Rondall. Kind of like a play on his name. And Chris, you, you, your agent took it to the next level when you actually went to the precinct and started looking over the over the information in the task room and noticed that there was this guy that was in all the pictures, in all the backgrounds of every crime scene and gradually looked worse and worse and worse for the wear. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it was, it was the one because up to that point, everything we had was just like conjecture. We didn't have any solid data or evidence of who this guy was. And I remember you know, as you were describing that room and that we saw the same guy in all of the crime scene photos. I'm like, there it is. And as agent rice, he's like, that's the lead that I need to focus in on that. And I had originally had it set up that each one of the crime scenes had uh, a location on a map and you blew out of the, the task room too early to that you could have made that correlation where they all kind of intersect would have been the Mississippi queen, which was in part seven, which is where he was located. And I was hoping you would do it in, in which case I had to kind of do one of those phone calls to you from uh, officer Hill saying that she wanted to meet with you and that she had information that might pertain to a possibility. And you get the feeling that, well, cause she's a friendly of the agency that eventually she might become an agent as well. That's usually what happens is people have somehow seen the unnatural and they've helped out the agency. Eventually they get pulled into the whole conspiracy, but I don't think they really have like, a, um, Tony and I were talking about this the other night, how they probably don't have a bureaucracy you know, nobody's keeping notes. Nobody's keeping files. There's no hard data out there that somebody could easily reference. It's almost word of mouth and past little notes and stuff because nothing can really be pointing back to an entity so i think one of my biggest things with the entire game and the concept i think obviously people do it out of the goodwill and to protect other people but it's like you're not being paid how does this work you know and like you, when you think of the bigger picture like that like how are they able to run this entire organization it's like very cia with no funding well i think in according to the rules what they want you to do is as individuals you're footing the bill for the plane tickets. You're footing the bill for the stay in the hotels and all this other shit. I, I, I don't like that because I think that that puts a little too much work on the, on the character in a sense, not you, the player, but like somebody that's just a natural individual who works at a bank may not have that kind of luxury. 
So I always just assume that the agency had some kind of a slush fund. Like maybe they run a credit card scam on the side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, some, it's like the CIA, that, I mean, how they yeah, did like exactly. uh, selling crack in the eighties, and yeah. the, like the Golden Triangle out of uh, you know doing heroin. Well, ironically, I think that the first few seasons of Supernatural, that's how they generated their money was via credit, cards, wasn't credit it? card scam. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that's pretty. In- uh, don't don't judge me, guys, but I, I thought that's pretty ingenious to do it. That would be a great way to fund yourself. Not that I want to be funded. Please don't listen to that. Um, but why wouldn't why wouldn't it- an agency like this do the same thing you know who knows maybe they've got stocks maybe they've invested in bitcoin stuff. yeah maybe they started bitcoin or some kind of pyramid scheme doesn't even have to be credit card fraud it could be something above board but might just be a little gray it's got to think yeah yeah, yeah like right. type huge thing. pyramid yeah. screen with cthulhu at the top yeah. um, <laughs> you know pissing down probably- everybody's throat I would think a lot of these entities that they're eventually bringing down probably have stacks of cash. Like you take down some weird monster that's been murdering all these people. Like it's probably got a bunch of jewelry and all that kind of crap. And they they have their own funding. So if you want to get into like an organized crime thing, I think that that might be a possibility where they're getting money too. Yeah. I mean, I never even thought about that, that some of the cases that they work on, there's got to be some some revenue generated from those. As far as whatever the deceased have left behind, if you're talking about other agents that have have gone down or just victims that have left houses and no next sure. of kin, I mean, who's to say that those those real estate properties didn't get swallowed up and sold off? That's do you that's guys huge. see um, what is that one that just came out? Uh, God damn it! It's the uh, Moon Knight. Moon Knight. You see Moon Knight? No, I have not watched that. That so good. He, yeah, it's pretty good, man. Dude, the actor is amazing. That guy, he, uh, you believe it. He plays two different people so differently, but I digress. The bad guy, he's running this like cult and he's like, I'm, we're here to make the world better and everything is about improving and it's, it's a hardcore cult. But then like in the background, you're like, so how's he get money? And you like get the feeling that there's that kind of stuff. Like he's selling drugs and stuff too, but it's like, but it's to improve everything. But we also sell heroin. Hmm. Like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, a little self-improvement. So one of the fine things that I, I enjoyed was when you guys went to the green box. Yes. It's kind of the little side trail, you know, little side mission there, go to the green box. And I enjoyed watching you guys go through the individual items to, and to try to determine whether or not they, uh, they would help the mission in some way. Now, everything in that green box had some kind of a, it could either be completely mundane, which would be totally useless or was totally over the top. I, I gotta know the corn tapes or CDs or whatever. What was the deal with that? They were just straight up CDs. Just mundane. Yep. Just played music. There were other things. I'm still wondering about that. I was, what I'm interested in knowing is that pistol that had no magazine. Okay, let me get the paper. Oh, that's God. the one. That's the one where I was like, "What is this?" And I was afraid to use it. You because, saw what happened to me. Hell yeah. Well, yeah, because I watched. You know, I I was sitting there watching you like mentally spiral out of control. You know, plus you're drinking. You know, mm-hmm. that's adding to it all. And I'm like, look, one of us has got to have our shit together, right? And I. That that's how pistol. Ramirez keeps his shit together. No, oh, I know. 
like training day, he hits the crack pipe. He's like, get that beer in you. It'll level you out. Yeah. But yeah, that pistol. The pistol's the one that I was like, what was that thing? Okay, so here's what it was. It was a small pistol the size of a 25 automatic with two magazines devoid of any identifying marks or serial numbers. Although there is a magazine well, there doesn't appear to be an active slide on it. No safety, no sights. Each magazine appears to hold four rounds. Your firearm's success is reduced by one half to hit. However, damage is 1d10 with a 5% lethality. Whoever (sighs) fires the weapon takes one or to 1d6 sanity as far as the sanity based around the logistics of the weapon that your mind just can't get around. But it's not the gun. It's the rounds. They have been imbued with hypergeometry. Mm. That was what made the gun so special. It wasn't the gun. It was the rounds. Just like the, uh, the Fontenot or the, the, the font, the, the folk, the fucking thing that, Shaper stole <laughs> the fucking dude. Yeah, you know the thing with the chalk and everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't the, the it wasn't the pendulum that was bad. It was the chalk inside the pendulum, mm. and it was already wearing super thin. He only had a few more things, and uh, you know this is kind of good that we're going over the after action report right now because it kind of allows me to pull the the curtain back so you guys could understand a lot of the things. Uh, and we'll get to that when we get to episode Open up your seven. bathrobe. Yeah, well, right. Um, but I want to I want to touch on a few highlights first before I get to episode seven. Is that uh, these were the highlights in my opinion? You guys go into the green box. Like I said, I I valued the way you guys went through the individual items to determine you know their value to the mission. Number two, Agent Rice breaking into the truck in the parking lot of Popeye's Chicken. <laughs> that Didn't even thing. leave with chicken. What? Come on. That was so fucking funny, man. Just watching you do that and having your conversation with that, these two guys. and I just want to say one thing. That is exactly what happens when you have a good idea and then the dice go to shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, That's... you couldn't make a good move, dude. I'm sorry. I was like, I was sitting there just like chewing my nails. It sucked. It I was hoping. And not, it was. not because of you. It was just the dice, man. Yeah. No, it was totally the dice. I, it, it was... <laughs> It, it was interesting because that that situation thrust Rice into having to um, uh, oh, what's the word he he had to uh, improvise where he normally wouldn't have to. So that was that was interesting to to play that out too. I feel like had our characters been switched, it could have been different because that is like that's 100% my character shit. Like he's all about the, Oh no. You know, he would have been able to smooth it over dice forgiving, but yeah, to see, it's like, leave this stuff to the professional. But rice, remember rice is a law. He's a ATF agent. So this is like not his wheelhouse, but he understands that he he's thrust into a situation that's totally outside of his comfort zone. Totally so good you know because normally he'd be like whipping out his badge you know throwing the guy against the car like mind your own fucking business i can go and do whatever i want but i couldn't like really lead on so it was all improvisation you know with like oh, i don't feel good you know throwing up <laughs> so good well the the 
the next one of the the highlights to me actually kind of le it builds off of you guys having gone to the green box and then coming up with this plan to frame people frame Schaefer for the murders and so Ramirez you you shot this rifle twice and looking through the scope caused all the sanity damage because you saw this rifle had been used during World War II and killed several people and whatnot. And the highlight was you contacting your Zadie, your grandpa, because you knew you had to contact him because you got to burn that that bond with him so that you could get some sanity back just so you can complete the mission. And that conversation, how you basically played it, I only had a few lines that I that were kind of prepared, which is, hello? You know, and just, oh, booby, and like him and, and Maury, Murray, whatever his name was, his his buddy that lived down the hall or whatever, you guys, but you trying to trying to do that and burning that, that bond, I mean, that was badass. I think the idea, the reason why it's like burning is because his grandfather really wants the best for him, and the more he's reaching out to him, like, hey why don't you come to bridge or i can't remember what you said and it's like he can't do it that's just not who ramirez is at this point and he wants to see him doing good things he wants to hear him say you know like i'm teaching these classes or whatever like his grandfather's a lawyer his dad was a lawyer ramirez is a former academic so to know that he's not um able to show those achievements to his grandfather and um he's just seen as this like joke um, it, it's it, really sad to me. But. He could see you troubled, and he was trying to to rein you back in from the depths of wherever you were drowning in. And I think that eventually he realized that you're just going to swim on your own, which is like when he told you, you're just going to have to be a better dad. You're going to have to do... Yeah. I'm going to have to tell you what I told your father. Go be a fucking better dad, because this what you're doing right now isn't cutting it. And don't don't call me until you've got your shit together, basically. Yeah. And he held out as long as he could until he realized it wasn't getting through, and then it became the tough love. And then at that point, he didn't want to hear from you anymore, which is when the line, we we ended the conversation at that point, and you know, poor Romy got a little weepy and shit. And, but you got your Sandy back. At the, yeah, that was all at, acting. It wasn't, yeah, I didn't feel that more. <laughs> Oh, it's true, man. He's got a daughter, and I mean, he had a decent life at one point, and basically this supernatural world that's developed has just fucked this guy up. I think it shows, though, that that interaction, it shows the burden of of Romeo's personality upon everybody else around him. Yeah. That that he is so, he he's so mixed up because of all this supernatural shit that he just it, it's difficult to interact work communicate with him and he's it's, like in his own world man he's like blinders on when he gets these ideas you know i see he's just super manic when he wants to be he's the kind of guy that could do 20 hours straight drywall in a house and then he realized he forgot to pick his daughter up from school you know yeah one of the other my other favorite scenes was uh when Rice was interacting with Agent Blue, the leader of the other agents. <laughs> and you get the idea that you don't know who was sent out. You don't know who's really calling the shots. 
you finally met this nefarious group of people that you've heard about since you've arrived on scene, but you had yet to really meet them. And it was time finally for the big reveal to come across and they're just four men in suits and these guys look hard ass. These guys are definitely company made and they're basically telling you, you know, why don't you go back home before you get hurt? Because there's only one team that that's supposed to be here and that's us. That's not you. You're the B team. We're the A team. And they watch you carry your yourself when dealing with those guys. I liked that interaction. Didn't you yeah, like sorry. Go ahead. Nope, go ahead. I was gonna say, didn't you like touch him at one point or something? Um You did something physical to him. I, I don't remember. Well, I know uh, what he I did at remember. the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I you know, it's because if you think this was Rice's first this was his first mission for Delta Green. So he was still kind of wrapped up in in the the um I'll call it the the uh, of his job where everything is very uh you know methodical and cut and dry and he's been thrust into this environment and then you've got these guys saying yeah you're the B team. Why don't you go home? And Rice is still trying to grapple with that of like who the hell are these guys? I thought we're all on the same team. You know, and then you got this other team that's like, you know, go home, little boy. You know, you're not needed. That was that was weird for me, you know, as as a you know, agent playing agent rice. Like, who the fuck are these guys, man? And I thought I really thought that they were a, a group of guys that had been um consumed, not consumed, but mind controlled by Doc Randall. That oh, it was like and that's what I was thinking. I mean, when you, you had, mentioned that to me. I was like, "That's a good point." Yeah, I thought maybe these thought guys. Really vital, yeah, that it was like all um, like misdirection. While Doc goes off and does his thing, is that this other team has us running around doing, you know, nothing. Hmm. While the real, while the real, um, you know, supernatural shit was going on someplace else. That's, that's what I. That's, do it, you know. It's that's like what Rice was thinking. You're getting arrested, and as the cops pulling you towards the uh, the car, your buddy comes over. No, no, we got this one. Yep. And you know what I'm saying, like, and then you just run away. One of the final highlights that I really enjoyed was uh, almost all of part seven, really, because by the time the informant had told you where this Mississippi Queen was at, and you guys get there, and and now it's it's raining hard. Uh, you call in the blackout. You see machine gun fires going off and everything, and then you make your way into it, into this hotel called Mississippi Queen. You guys find your way into the upstairs uh, on the second floor to his room. The whole thing with um, with Schaefer was he was burnt. He was totally done. He had stolen these rituals and the artifacts, and the, one of the rituals was to summon this entity. He originally had done it as a way to for protection and then I, apparently he really didn't know how to control this ritual or, or really what it did and he had summoned a dimension shambler which is what it is and it needed to feed and he realized well this thing isn't really going to be protecting me it's going to fucking eat me and so it started he started sending it out to kill people to satiate its hunger but he, it had told him that Every time I come here, I need to be fed, and you're going to keep calling me here. And he was using that pendulum to basically pick its next target. 
and that's how he was able to determine who was going to get gobbled up next and everything. But every time he used this ritual, his sanity kept dipping and dipping and dipping, and he wasn't going to ever get better. And this entity knew that, that eventually once this dude reached zero sanity, he was the final meal at the buffet. You know, it, the, the beast was just, okay, whether we can, I could have four meals or seven meals, you will be the last meal. But uh, it's fun while it lasted, one of those kind of things. The beast was using him instead of him using the beast. And that's what, what broke his sanity. Wow. I think the intro you did for number three really uh, showed that too. It was either number three or number two. It was three, was yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, I wanted to jump off of um, what we were talking about before. And like when we got into that and we saw what happened to those guys, it made it so, it made it felt so good to see these guys getting murdered. Yeah. You they know, for payoff. Slaughtered. And, you know, obviously any of the listeners, they'll hear that that prelude at the beginning of this episode. So that's where we're going to tack that sucker on because, you know, the hard slingers, Sam and Tony and junior, we all got together and we recorded that because they were the only ones that weren't playing any agents. So it'd be, it was, we knew it'd be cool to have people's voices that weren't in the main AP doing it. And I just thought it turned out really well. So that was good. I liked it too. Cause like, obviously we could have done it between me and Chris and you and everything, but like, It'd be hokey a little bit, you know. You'd be like, "Oh, that's Radke with a, a an Alabama voice." <laughs> yeah, and you would know. I mean, because you've been listening to him for the last six or seven episodes, and you know what he, you sound like, Dave. You know what Chris sounds like. You know what Sam sounds like, and, and, and Tony, and everybody else. But it's just nice to to mix it up and have different vocals on board. I kind of like that. So yeah, I like fun. the background of it too. The yeah. Yeah, I was, I was telling Dave, I was like, you know, this is what I want to do for this intro. I want to get some machine guns. I want to get some of this. I want that door breaking and monster screeching. Within like four minutes, he sent me the links to all of these things. <laughs> Dude. And Chris he was, was ready. Like, yeah, I got all kinds of links, too. I'm like, all right, guys. Oh, yeah. Next time. We're, Team, we're baby. Fire with this shit. But it sounds like everybody had a good time running Gaslight. Uh do you have any takeaways from this? Uh, I'd be interested for the next time we get to do this and and evolve Agent Rice um, differently now that that he's had his first Delta Green mission. Yeah, yeah, you did excellent, Chris. I I really liked what you did. I liked how you brought this very almost like an accountant mentality like okay two the plus ben two affleck plus movie two. i like yeah, that the movie. accountant that's a good movie but he's it like was. super badass yeah, yeah. well so. and with the description of the character you said he's just like barrel chest like whatever and then you alluded to me that like i don't know if this was i can't remember if it was in you know recording or not but that like he has no problem hurting people you said something like that and i was like who the fuck is this guy yeah he had no problem and i i think it showed in the last episode. Yeah, you guys got hot, yeah. dude. Well, the thing is, is that at this point, if you're listening to this first, you're making a mistake. You really want to listen to all seven episodes. So if there's any spoilers, I'm I'm okay with it because people should have already listened to this stuff. But if you're alluding to when you took out Agent Blue on the floor. That was awesome. That was awesome. That was really cool because that dude was in your in your grill when you guys were on the street at that one body 
and I was wondering where it was going to go. And sure <laughs> as shit, you had this dude on the floor. Well, he was on the floor because the monster was there, and you just took him out. And then yeah. we both like ignored him. He's like choking out. <laughs> like, he's like drowning in his own blood. And yeah. We're like, man, that, that's gotta suck. <clears throat> like stepped screaming over him. for a medic and shit. And, <laughs> yeah. And then I think at one point you were trying to decide what to do with Schaefer, and he shot Schaefer. And I think that's that, right. that was the tripping point where you're like, you fuck. And then, of course, you had the, the, the cleanup where you took care of the Emmy's evidence with all the bodies and all the, the files and stuff. And then met up with Heisenberg where he, he eventually told you that you had been gaslighted. And that there were no dossiers because you were like, boss, we can't find them. We were looking. We can't find these things. We didn't find them anywhere. And he's like, there were none. Just to make sure you guys stayed on point and found Schaefer with the utmost urgency. And that's what it was. You so. son of a bitch. Yeah, you set I, us up. Yeah, you, you son, son of a bitch. bitch. You took the two of us and threw us into the meat grinder. You think it's funny? <laughs> Do you? Get out. Um one thing if i could you know because i could go 20 episodes doing stuff but if we could have gotten to the emmy's uh office first and gotten the files and then brought them back to the mississippi queen and planted them that would have been just the cooter you know that way it's like oh this guy must have done all this shit and he must have burned those bodies too hmm. um, but that yeah, was something it, i thought about that was later. something that that was possible but I think the mission parameters were to remove all evidence. So there was never yeah, one of those things where people would look back and reflect and say, oh, remember that, that summer that two bodies were annihilated? Really? I heard it was 22. You know, none yes. of the all, the, all the stories would be in conflict with one another. So everything becomes a, an urban legend rather than a fact well, I think, and that's what Ramirez is going to jump on now. Like he's going to be, you know, typing up his his accounting of what happened, and um, just doing those little things of like having the bullets there and having that rifle and making sure that the guy's fingerprints were on it. It's like everything was just set up so that later when he retells this, they're like, "There's no way," and they're like, "You know," but shit happens, and physics is weird. We found bullets. We found a gun. It the pieces fit. Yeah, and two more things. Um, one of them was at the green box. There was that mattress against the back wall. That actually <laughs> covered a portal to another dimension. Nice. So oh. that was, I kept saying, you want to move the mattress? Want to go look at the mattress? Nope, 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 nope. I was holding off for that. I was like, ah. And then the second one was uh, Ramirez being such a quirky person. You'd be talking, and then you'd just drop in mid-sentence. Or you'd be eating candy bars and pounding beer and then saying you haven't touched the stuff in like the last 20 minutes. That kind of shit was just hilarious. I mean, I gotta give it to you, Dave. That's yeah, some funny I shit, dude. I started off with this character wanting to be like Fletch and then he just slowly is becoming, um, who's the gonzo journalist guy, the fear and loathing? Oh, uh, Raul Duke. Um, uh, um, no, I think, um, Johnny Depp played him as a. Uh, yeah, I don't uh, remember what what's his name. His name? Um, he always had like the aviator glasses yeah. and the cigarette on a. Um, uh, I, 
I watched a whole documentary about the guy, and he's so freaking Hunter something. weird. Hunter Thompson. Yeah, Hunter, Hunter Thompson. Douglas. Or Hunter Thompson. Thompson, Thanks. yeah. Yeah. And that guy is just as weird. He's like, yeah, so I started the day with some LSD, and then I had this, and then, then, then. and he's so like, and he's got this really weird rhythm. I'm a student of the way people speak, and his, I can't think of the word, but just his patterns and his speech patterns are so mannerisms, like, funny. His yeah. intonation of words, and and like he talks about what he eats for breakfast, and it's like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Uh, but he's interesting because of that, and that's. Like I said, I didn't ex I didn't want this character to go that way, but all of a sudden it is, and I'm here for the ride too, people. Yeah, you know, sometimes our characters they they just evolve, and I'm okay with that, especially with the, uh, especially in in Delta Green where they almost have an expiration date of like a carton of milk in the sun if they're not played right. So, yeah, I think I know I'm gonna need some R and R after this one. I think I'm at let me see this fifty six sanity points and my breaking point is 52 and you know at some point if we ever want to we could put together like a uh like a, another side mission where you actually go and you repair that bond or you create a new bond with somebody else in fact if uh if you get so close to breaking and i had to look at the rules but you actually develop a bond with agent rice and agent coldwell mm -hmm. you, you that bond becomes a viable source that they can help you through and they you, you actually put their name on your character sheet as a bond. oh wow so yeah so that kind of helps you like if you you're starting to break insanity and you guys are out in the field and you're like you know what just fuck off just leave me alone you know then we hate each other yeah you yeah. start like having yeah. a little bit of dissension but you broke a little bit of that hey, bond and you could save it that way so i ain't bonding with this fucking guy and <laughs> not yeah, with an attitude like that you mm -hmm. won't Anyways, so I hope everybody enjoyed Gaslight, and I think this is where we're going to wrap up our after-action report. Anybody have anything they want to say until our next time? No. Good times. Yeah. Like us, comment, share. Please share. Send pictures of your wife. Uh, no, don't do that. Damn, Agent Ramirez. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you, you do not ask, you will not get my what friend. What are you doing? You can't be talking that way to all the people out there. They don't want to hear that stuff. Booby, no. <laughs> <laughs> good night. See ya. Have a good night, guys. Junior, what's happening, man? What's hey, up, brother? Sorry, I was trying to pull up the uh, script for tonight. Now yeah. you're you're agent three, right? Okay. All right. Yeah, and uh, Sam's four. Brother Tone is two. Two. Tone oh, Ryder gets all the beefy parts. I like that. Well, because I already did Agent Blue, so he was oh, the only guy here. that they had spoke to was Agent Blue, who was leading the the other agents, but they never spoke. They were just mm -hmm. like behind him as a. Uh, Chris's agent was conferring with him and he basically threatened, you know, blue threatened him like, Hey, you know, be a tragedy if you fucking died out here or whatever. Am I agent white? Uh, we yeah. got agent red, agent black brown, and white. Hairball. Oh yeah. We don't have an agent Brown junior. I'm sorry. Uh, damn. <laughs> I thought that's what we were going with. I wasn't sure. <laughs> agent Brown bandit. Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Tony should be Agent Blue. He's in California. Yeah.
Oh shit! <laughs> Agent drowning in blue. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I bleed blue. <laughs> and Toad was telling me that I guess Newsom was sending out. Uh... Fuck that guy. You mean Bluesom? Yeah, he was. <laughs> <laughs> he was sending out commercials to to other states to try to get Florida. the people to come back. I was yeah, telling Brandy about that. She's yeah. like. Ain't nobody going back. Yeah, he sent it to your state saying, you know, hey, you know, come over here and this and that. And one of the things, and they did a press conference and uh, uh, what's his name? DeSantis. Or what is he named now? DeSatan, Death Sentence, whatever his name is. <laughs> um, he's all, you know, I see a lot of California plates here. I, you probably don't see too many Florida plates in your in your state. No, you don't even accidentally take that turnpike. <laughs> it, doesn't even, it doesn't even make it that far. But yeah, it's like, I remember when I first came out here, people were flipping me off. And I'm like, what is your fucking malfunction? You know, you don't know who you're fucking with. And uh, I'm strapped, yo. <laughs> sure enough, it's because so of the everybody. California plate. Yeah, that's the thing. Everybody's strapped. Of course, they're pulling out gators and shit, you know, all kinds of wild shit. But no, when I came out to California, we had a good time. I swung by, saw Junior on the way out there, gave him a... Uh, those dice that Gary Kilgore had given us. Um, so I gave him his set. And then from there, I went and saw my mom and, and Gavin. And then uh, on the way back, obviously where I went and hooked up with Tone. And then I think mom. the, yeah, the next night, Junior and I went out to dinner, which was pretty nice. Yeah, she's doing oh, well. Yeah. Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, yeah. What was it? I think that night we went to dinner at That's your it. mom's house, right, Tone? Yep. She kept calling me Eric all night. Did she? Yeah. Like like five or six times at the table, I'm like, so at one point I'm like, you know, last time I hung out with Eric was about five years ago with with Eric, and I kept saying it. And Dude, you so, should just role played it. I, I kind of did it Dude. to a point where we were in the uh, the garage, and it was Tone's mom and, and Grace and I, <laughs> and uh, we were just kind of bullshitting. And, and his mom's like, "Oh, Eric, it was so good to see you." And I go, "I'm just gonna leave this here," and I I turned and walked out. Walk, walk, ben, the, yeah, walked back in the house and left her with Grace. When I came back out, oh, Ryder, it's so good to see you. <laughs> because you know, Grace just squared. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just going to leave that. Hey, yeah, I'm going to go uh, go run and grab a beer real quick. She's getting up there. Okay. Grace? No, my mom. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so is my mom. I think we're, they're all, that's the only choices you have. You get old and die or you just flat out fucking die. How far away are you from your mic, Junior? You sound kind of uh, far. Right now, good nine inches. Oh, <laughs> get closer <laughs> to it. Then. I was gonna bring it up later. Oh, okay. What that you were so soft spoken, or uh... <laughs> no, I know. I was, um... Everybody, and Tone, let's hear yours one more time, brother. No problem, brother. How does that sound? Sounds a little uh, like muffled. A little muffled? How's yeah. this? Is that any better? Uh, just sounds louder muffled. Louder muffled? Yeah. What What are you using for your mic? I'm using this one. Flip it around. Make sure the dial's facing you. Oh, there we go. There you are. <laughs> Good grief. Yeah, okay. Does that sound better? That sounds oh, way better. better. Yeah. I, I got this for you, that. Tone. Yeah. Tribute to the Tone Dog. I normally don't drink uh, this stuff, but they had some uh, Stone IPA at the local gas grub and gospel. So I'm like, you know what? I'll grab some of that because this is my weekend for me. You know, I don't normally get to hang out with anybody. So 
Thursday night might as well be Friday night. Hell yeah, right on. that yeah. works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tomorrow, dude. What are my, those like? Uh, tomorrow will be bushy, my Friday. Bushy looking mask things you got on the wall, Junior. It's the same thing I said. Yeah. They look like something out of Cthulhu. They're just yeah, plants. It's like troll masks. Or something. <laughs> they're, just, they're just plants. I think they're lavender. Lavander? That, Lavander. Yeah. <laughs> Go get me a 40. <laughs> and Darrell. It's spelled like Daryl. Pronounced Darrell. Darrell. Yeah. <laughs> like my life. It's been derailed. <laughs> look at lean tone. You've been losing some weight or just get a haircut. I think it's the haircut. He looks yeah. good. Are you kidding? When yeah, I saw you. him, he's he's strapping, dude. Yeah, he was. He's lost some weight. I I hear. You know that's Yeah, he looks the, he looks great. You know what it is? Thank you. It's are saying. curling that fucking beer mug like the one he gave me. <laughs> this thing yeah. must weigh like eight pounds empty. Yeah, it's and then of course you fill it halfway with this German stout, and it's. It, it may not down. get heavier, but it feels heavier. Uh, Tone says it, it's not about the ounces. It's about the repetitions. Right. <laughs> it's not about exactly. the weight. It's all about reps. <laughs> it's all, well, it only took half of one of those glasses to like lay me low on the couch. But uh, yeah, so are we ready to uh, record our little dialogue for our after action report for yeah, uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna need a little bit of like preamble here i'm gonna need a little bit of majesty and pageantry before we start to record you know do your this is a gathering thing. well this is a gap i know it's not going to be recorded for the show but this is a gathering of the this hard slingers of yore the new slingers the delta greeners like give us something right yeah well i i am recording this right now and i have been recording and i'm going to keep recording and i'll probably put this on the back end of it as a little bit of Back taste in. of the, the hard slingers of yore. Thank you for joining us once again on Roll the Hard 20 Podcast. Remember, you can find us and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Podcasts, and Audible. And if you like what you're listening to, leave us that five-star rating and review. We also have a YouTube channel at Roll the Hard 20, so if you're into watching head on over and hit that subscribe bell. We can also be found in the wild on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So don't forget to look for us there and check us out. You can also contact the show directly at rollthehard20podcast at gmail.com or head on over to the website at rollthehard20podcast.com where you can download the current show directly, pick and choose past shows from our archives, or view our galleries. We've got a lot of stuff posted there, so check us out. And finally... Join us on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash rollthehard20podcast where you can become a hard slinger and pick up swag. So until next session, keep your dice warm and your glass topped off as you roll those hard 20s.